kids are dismissed. Good morning, everyone. Uh, like Dill Mark just said, my name is Terry. I currently serve here as the church planning resident at the church. <clears throat> so you've seen me do various things on a Sunday morning from some things you might see, some things you don't see. Uh, well, today I get the opportunity to jump into the sermon. Uh, praise God that we get to share the title Christian. Hmm. It signifies a relationship that outweighs all the other titles we could gain in life combined. It doesn't take too long to be a Christian to know it's not easy, since we're called to live a uh, countercultural lifestyle. We face several trials, temptations, and difficulties, but we have benefits too. Today's text from Romans shows us some of them. I pray these benefits will fill our hearts with joy in conjunction with the Holy Spirit's power and even engage those of you in the room that are on the fringe or indifferent about Christianity. So I'm going to pray, and then I'll read Romans 5, 1 through 5, which will be up on the screen, uh, but you could also pull it up in your Bibles. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for this time to hear your word preached. We thank you for this time where you have called uh, people from Lord, Florida, Lord, in New York, Lord, in Georgia, all different parts of the country to sit in this room to hear the benefits that you have for those that love Jesus. God, and we thank you for how it says in Psalms 103, bless the Lord, all my soul, forget not all his benefits. Lord, we thank you that that could be the cry of our hearts. We thank you that you're sanctifying us to, to want to make that the more the cry of our heart. We praise you for this, Jesus. And we ask, Lord, that through your word, Lord, that you edify us, Lord, and you enlist those that need to be enlisted in your service because you are a good and gracious king. We praise you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is God's word. <clears throat> Romans 5, 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Amen. So I'll pose the main point of those 97 words through this statement. Faith in Jesus Christ gives us peace with God and preceding benefits. I'm going to list them out and then I'll uh, explain the first verse in the passage from there. So benefit number one. Stand on God's grace. Fit number two, rejoice in God's glory. Benefit number three, rejoice in suffering. Uh, now keep in mind, there are several other benefits throughout scripture, but Paul wants us to focus on these three explicitly today. Let's start with dissecting verse one by the commas between them. Verse 1a says, therefore, 
you guys, I'm sure, have heard this several times. Whenever you see the word therefore, stop, look to see what it's there for. Well, we have, um, we have to look at that, the previous couple verses. So if you go to Romans 4, starting at 23 to 25, I'm going to summarize it. But in essence, it says, it's reminding us that Jesus substituted himself in our place for our sin. Jesus substituted himself in our place for our sin and was raised from the dead for our moral justification before God. On to the next part of verse 1. Verse 1b, it says, since we have been justified by faith. Notice how it says we have been, meaning something happened. Jesus did something. Ephesians 2.14 puts it like this. Jesus himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down his flesh, in his flesh, excuse me, the dividing wall of hostility. I.e., Jesus broke down the dividing wall of hostility between us and God, which means prior to that, we had a huge wall of hostility between us and God. In other words, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. As Romans 3.21 says, we had a mountain load of moral failure before him with no excuses or justification to cover them. Worse off, we were clueless of our trespasses. Some of us even thought we had a relationship with God like the genie in Aladdin. He was our cosmic genie being summoned from time to time to fulfill our personal desires or get us out of a bind. We thought God revolved around us, not the other way around. You guys know this song. We were on the highway to hell. <laughs> we, we were on that highway. Yeah. But all of a sudden, everything changed. It's like Von Miller, the NFL superstar from the L.A. Rams, said, I went to sleep four and four, and I woke up seven and one. Now, I'm not trying to give implications about the Super Bowl this year, <clears throat> although I do have a favorite. We can talk about that later. But... Von Miller makes a statement uh, that has an exceptional theological point. For those of who, you who aren't football fans, Von Miller played for the Denver Broncos, who had a 4-4 four four record. And then overnight, he was traded to the LA Rams, who had a team record of 7-1. Similar to him, we went from a losing record of moral corruption with God to a winning one overnight, where he declared us righteous based off of the fact that he, he made, meaning God, he made Jesus become the object of our faith like our brother James preached last week. God did this. It was a gift from him, which leads to, to verse 1c where it says, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is a heavy statement. It carries a lot of weight. We are currently on good terms with God based on our fact that Jesus is the object of our faith. Those are the terms to be at peace with him. You get right with God through his son. All of a sudden, we get a true understanding that God loves us. We adore Jesus. We marvel at scripture. It becomes alive in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
I'm sure many of you can relate to this metamorphosis process, excuse me, spiritual metamorphosis process that I'm talking about. Remember when you thought the Bible was just another history book? It made for good decor on a nightstand or a bookshelf or even a social media post. I remember it kind of being like an eight ball for myself when I was a freshman in high school. I would open it up, trying to land on something that would make me feel good, give me a little confidence booster before I went to school. However, God changed all that when he adopted us as his children based on Jesus being the object of our faith. Boom! The Bible became personal and alive. With time, God gave us confidence to insert ourselves by name into scriptural promises like Psalms 102, 3 through 5. Hmm. And, and I know that some of you guys are doing this as we speak, where you take a psalm like Psalms 103, 2 through 5, where it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all our iniquities, who heals our soul's diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good. You replace, you replace those yous. You say, who forgives Carrie's iniquity? who redeems Carrie from the pit, who crowns Carrie with steadfast love and mercy. Or you take Psalms 24. This is uh, one that Aaron and I, we, we worked on memorizing. It says, who may climb the mountain of the Lord, who may stand in his holy place, only those whose hands and hearts are pure, who do not worship idols and never tell lies. They will receive the Lord's blessing and have a right relationship with God, their Savior. So what I'm saying is, we don't just put Carrie's name in it. We put your name in it. We climb up this mountain. We stand in this holy place because of what Jesus did. That is simply breathtaking. There's no comparison to having a relationship with the creator and lover of our souls. This relationship is nourishment for the soul, satisfying us to the deepest core of our being. God is love. He loved the world so much that he gave his only son. And whoever believes in Jesus should not perish, but have eternal life. That's John 3.16. That is good news. So with that being said, that gives us a three-lane car highway of grace to stand on. That's point number one. Stand on God's grace. Now, I know we don't typically think of something as grace to stand on, but that is exactly what the passage is telling us to do. Unfortunately, though, the word grace has gotten a little convoluted with time, so let me make it clear in light of the text and, and the subpoint I just shared. Think of God's grace as undeserved kindness from him to us. We get to stand on God's grace because that is the way we were saved in the first place access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Put it like this. We've obtained undeserved kindness that we can put our confidence in, i.e. stand on, just like this sleep number bed frame I'm standing on right now that we got from the side of the road. <laughs> Through Jesus, we've obtained undeserved kindness that we can put our complete confidence in. 
Romans 4 outlines this first benefit explicitly. Turn with me to Romans 4. We're going to look at verses 18 through 21. I have it here, so I'll read it. It says, in hope, I'm inserting the word Abraham because that's who it's talking about. Abraham believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old. When he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, excuse me, Sarah's womb, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. Wrap your mind around that. God told the forefather of the Christian faith that he would have offspring when he was 75. From the outside looking in, he does not seem like the best candidate. Human instinct says he's a little past his prime. Meanwhile, his wife was just as old and had been in barren their entire marriage. Well, after 13 years of waiting on God's promise, she decided to try to help God. <clears throat> she allowed her Egyptian servant to sleep with Abraham, hoping her slave would bear them a child that they could basically call their own. Bad idea. Their idea led to strife in their marriage and animosity between Sarah and her servant, Hagar. What a mess, right? Now, before we get too judgmental over Sarah's impulse to help God, this is an all-too-familiar feeling for me and maybe for you, too. Perhaps you've been tempted to help God along the way, you know? Just give him a little boost because he might be struggling, right? <laughs> right. Well, the rest of Abraham's story gives us the answer to that question. We knew that Abraham did an immoral act which was influenced by his wife. Both of them were guilty before God. We knew also um, that Abraham <clears throat> had personally heard from God on this matter prior. The brother could have at least went back to God and asked for clarity on the matter rather than trying to help God, right? So what will God do with these problems? Will he punish Abraham? Or will he punish Sarah? If so, who deserves the worst punishment? Shouldn't the Egyptian slave be held accountable for her actions too? What about the son born out of wedlock? Well, God shows them all undeserved kindness. Christ. That story is just the tip of the iceberg of God's undeserved kindness. Romans 5.8 says, God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. What a glorious deed from our heavenly father, which leads to our second point. Rejoice in God's glory. Now, this benefit comes from the second half of verse 2, where it reads, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Okay, let's do a word-by-word -word analysis on this. Where it says we, circle that word we, I'm, it's talking about 
you, me, all other Christ followers around the world, rejoice, meaning we're elated, joyful, delighted, right now, in the hope of the glory of God. Mind you, the word, though, has a different meaning in Greek than what we think of in English. Pastor John MacArthur says the New Testament word has no uncertainty. It speaks of something that is certain but not yet realized. So we can rejoice in the certainty of God's glory, although we haven't fully experienced it. Side note, I know we hear the phrase God's glory a lot, but some of us might struggle to really understand what it means. The simplest way I've heard work environments are disorganized and could use a flurry of improvements. We know this, and yet we go back. Why? Because of the, 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 the next paycheck. But when you think about it, our next paycheck really isn't certain. Companies go bankrupt all the time. 401ks can fluctuate the stock market. And some of the social, uh, excuse me, some say the social security, security system will collapse by the time millennials will need to tap into it. So stepping back from finances, we naturally think of some things as certain even though they haven't been realized. But let's think about it. We can't even say tomorrow is guaranteed for any of us. I don't mean to be morbid, but it's true. So what should we put our focus on in being certain of? Where do we put our hope? It's got to go somewhere. Well, let's look at Romans 5.2. It says that we can rejoice in the hope of God's glory. That means we are so confident in God's promise of salvation through Jesus Christ that we can rejoice now knowing that one day we will see God in all his glory. Can you imagine what it will be like to see him face to face? It will be better than what Adam and Eve experienced before they ate the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden. Remember how they walked with God. Remember how they enjoyed creation without worrying about evil. Remember how they were completely vulnerable with God, like children with their father. That's what we want. That makes Philippians 3, 20 to 21 come alive. Listen, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we wait a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Amen? Hmm. So hope of the glory of God is the ultimate certainty that we will eventually get to see God face to face with no shame, fully sanctified, with no spots or blemishes of sin. But get this, God is already working on our sin, excuse me, sanctification through the Holy Spirit as we speak, which brings me to point number three, rejoice in suffering. Hmm, yeah, yeah. I know that some of y'all think I have three heads right now. How in the world can you rejoice in suffering? Well, I'm going to get personal real quick with y'all. Once upon a time, I used to look like Marine. Now, don't get distracted by how I look right now. It's the season, okay? This was back 2005 when I was about 200-ish pounds. I was a student at Liberty University which is about 800 miles away from my home in Florida. 
that transition forced me to go on a 30-pound weight loss journey. I didn't have a car, so I walked everywhere around campus. On top of that, I barely knew how to cook. Praise God for Aaron now. Hallelujah. That's my wife. She's sitting up in the front. I had the average college student's leisure budget, and the school cafeteria was not open 24-7. Took pleasure. I didn't rejoice in the struggle of weight loss itself, but I rejoiced in what was ahead. Similar to all you military folk in here that went through boot camp. The training was difficult, but the benefits far outweighed the cost of suffering. Well, my suffering eventually led to great physique, good stamina, and mental fortitude. The mind can help the body endure a lot when it has proper motivation. That is the essence of what Paul is showing us about our mindsets in regards to suffering. Notice how verse 3 starts. We rejoice in suffering, underline the word, knowing, knowing, meaning we can not only endure, but be glad in the midst of suffering because we know some special things. We know we aren't suffering for the sake of suffering itself. We know Jesus said we'd experience trouble in this world, and there is plenty of human history to back it up. Now, I know some of you might be going through some really intense suffering right now. I don't want to minimize that at all. But the text tells us and promises us that suffering is not for nothing. Jesus said we must take heart since he had overtaken the world. What does that mean for us believers in light of Romans 3, verses, or excuse me, 5, 3 through 5? Let's go word by word through the phrases to see how it means we can rejoice in, in suffering. Verse 3b says, knowing that suffering produces endurance, i.e., suffering helps us know that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. There is no other way we can endure trials without following the world's patterns to numb the pain with placebos like alcohol, drugs, and sexual immorality. The Holy Spirit is inside of us working like a trainer, encouraging us, championing us to stand on God's undeserved kindness, helping us to endure. Verse 4a, it says, endurance produces character, specifically Christ-like character. This is so true. Think back to when we were first Christians. We were like spiritual two-year-olds, throwing little temper tantrums, holding grudges, etc. But the Spirit of God initiated a sanctification process in us that is still going on as we speak, giving us a distaste for sin and a growing appetite for righteousness. That is sanctification in a nutshell and what leads to holiness. That is exactly what God desires of us. It's a summation of the command, be holy, for I am holy. Next, verse 4b, character produces hope. Now remember that, that hope has a different meaning in Greek than what we think of in English. The word contains no uncertainty. It speaks of something that is certain but not yet realized. So the sanctification process the Holy Spirit is doing in us gives us more certainty about God's love for us though we haven't seen him yet, which leads to verse 5. And hope does not put us to shame, 
because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Let me summarize this one. The Holy Spirit ignites and fosters the sanctification process in us to be like Christ and gives us a growing confidence of God's love for us, a confidence that will not put us to shame. So we do not suffer simply for suffering sake itself. We can suffer knowing it is like a kernel of wheat in our lives that is placed to germinate and make us more like Jesus Christ. That is what Paul is showing us about our mindset in regards to suffering. We can also know that suffering doesn't mean God doesn't love us. He does. Let's sing that song. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus. Why? The Bible tells me so. He loves us. He does. We know this because the Holy Spirit is inside of us as our evidence. He's working like a trainer, encouraging us, championing us to stand on God's undeserved kindness, expanding our hearts to understand God's love for us, and so much more. So let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, like it says in Hebrews 12, 1 to 2. Let us eagerly submit ourselves to the sanctification process of becoming like Jesus. Let's see right through suffering like he did, knowing there are a ton of, there is, excuse me, a ton of joy for us on the other side of all that pain. We know it breeds more sanctification in us. We know it is making us more like Jesus. So how are we going to do this? We're going to do it through homework. I know the teachers are excited. I know, I know. Teachers love homework. Uh, here it is. It's ac- it actually comes from Psalms 103, 1 and 2. It says, bless the Lord, all my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, all my soul, and forget not all his benefits. It's right there. Forget not all his benefits. Let me paraphrase this. To treasure his benefits in light of Romans 5, 1 through 5. That's our homework. And there are a lifetime of, of, uh, of things for us to find in Scripture on that, to meditate on and to praise God about. Dig into the fruits of the Spirit from Galatians 5, 22 to 23, where it says, The fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Analyze the armor of God in Ephesians 6 which talks about how we've been given the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, etc. Now, I just gave you the what to do. Now, let me fuel it with the why. 
this is how we will stand on God's grace. Like it says in Romans 5, 2. The more promises we know, the more we understand the undeserved kindness and love we have from God and put confidence, i.e. stand on God's grace for us. That is especially important since I'm sure we all can sometimes have the tendency to try to lean on a little bit of moralism, a little bit of self-righteousness as the basis of God's undeserved kindness to us. Those thoughts blind us from the grace we are called to stand up. Remember, our deeds are not the basis of salvation. They are evidence of our salvation. They are not foundation. They are demonstration. That's a quote from John Piper. God gives us these promises out of undeserved kindness. They are proof of his unconditional love for us and powerful weapons in the midst of suffering. Here's an example of one of my recent favorites I've meditated on through my own season. Psalms 34, verse 5. It says, those who look to him for help will be radiant with joy. No shadow of shame will darken their faces. Now, the initial part of that verse alone is so rich and so soul-filling. It says, those who look to him for help will be radiant with joy. It's telling me that I can't look to myself for help with deep-seated problems that stir in my soul. It informs me that I can't look to anyone else for help either, like my wife, friends, family, etc. But I have to look to God for help, who in turn gives me joy. So treasure his benefits in light of scripture as a whole in Romans 5 through 1, knowing that faith in Jesus Christ gives us peace with God and confidence to stand on God's grace, ability to rejoice in God's glory, and joy in the midst of suffering. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for faith in Jesus Christ. That is a gift of grace. We thank you for the preceding benefits, Lord, which gives us grace to stand on. Lord, eagerness about your glory here on earth and in heaven. And Lord, ultimately, the, the, the ability to have knowledge to rejoice in the midst of suffering. Lord, we thank you that, that your word is such great comfort to us. Lord, similar to how it says in uh, Psalms 42, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul